literally hate you. That's Ashley over there. <laughs> and that's fucking Jamie. You're welcome. For as long as she's going to survive. <laughs> <laughs> welcome to February. I see you in like one month. <laughs> yeah, you do. <laughs> the smile that just left your face. <laughs> yeah, happy February. It's happy Ashley month. Happy she- Ashley month. And happy, uh, this is a true crime po- podcast. So there's probably like a oh, ton of like. It, you, this is your fault. There's a ton of gore and, and like blood and, and unhappy details. So if that triggers you, then then what? Then just don't listen. Or, 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 or. you could give it a try. Maybe you'd be more into true crime when it's mixed with comedy. Who you knows? Make fun of the bad guys. It could happen. You could try it. But if you don't like it. There's the door. There's you don't, the door. You don't have to do anything. Yeah. You can just leave. <laughs> you can just leave. But we'd love to have you. Try it out. Just try something new. 2022, try something new. Ooh. It rhymes, so it goes. I like that. <laughs> well, here's your blanket trigger warning. So if you don't like that kind of stuff, don't listen. And if you do, do. Cool. All right. Be sure to rate, review, and subs- uh, subscribe wherever you get podcasts. It's time for the show. You're first this week. I'm first? Who's on first? I did a two-hour episode last week. Get fucked. You did. (laughs) You put in work. Wait, no. Who had to edit that? Wait. Well, I was was just about to say, but you put in work, too, with that editing. (laughs) Thank God. And I did kind of mess up, so I've reposted it, and now it's better. (laughs) I mean, we're getting back into recording from States Apart, so... Some technical difficulties, but it's hard. We're just two dumb bitches with a true crime podcast. Yeah. What are we going <laughs> to do? We don't know what we're doing. Exactly. <laughs> All right. Well, let's get into it. Let's let's talk about love. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a thin line between, between love, love and, and murder. Yes. <laughs> yes. Indeed. Okay. Well, I figured since it's the month of Valentine's, the month of love. Mm-hmm. We're going to talk about this asshole. <laughs> oh, okay. Right Does off the bat. asshole have a name? Yeah, his name is <laughs> Gerald Gallego. Wait, no, that's my case. What? I'm just kidding. Oh my Go God, on. you scared me. <laughs> I was convinced. Oh my gosh. Okay. Gerald, Gerald freaking Gallego, born on the 17th of July, 1946. <gasps> I thought you were going to say February. <laughs> no. <laughs> He's he's the seventeenth of July, so he's a fucking okay. cancer, and he really oh, is. He's emotional. Yeah, emotional damage. <laughs> so he's born in Sacramento, California, uh, to a sex worker named Lorraine. He never met his father because when he was born, his father Gerald Senior never trusted Junior, was serving time mm-hmm. in San Quentin prison, State Prison for the murder of two police officers. So he's a real gem. Big yikes! Yeah. And Gerald was told all of his life that his father had died in an accident. And his whole family was actually chock full of murderers, child molesters, and burglars. What? So Lorraine treated her son in a way that kind of like showed that, you know, that she was raised in a family of murderers and whatnot. So, Oh, God. Why couldn't you be like the, the part that changes all the trauma, you know? Yeah, no. 
just be the change you want to see in the world. The really sad thing, this is probably going to break your heart. He was constantly asking for like hugs and attention. He's saying how much he loved everyone Oh, as a kid. And it was never reciprocated. And it's reported that his only friend was a dog named Queenie. Queenie for life. Right? You can feel bad for the younger version, not the older version. Not the other. Exactly. So by the time he was six years old, he'd already been charged with burglary. And this was probably because he was fucking starving. Not like charged, but like, yeah. But like caught. And at that point, it's like, it's like those videos where there's like a mom stealing diapers or something and they call the cops on her, which like, hello. But then the cops come and they're like, she needs fucking help. And then they buy her diapers. (laughs) Yeah. Like they did the right thing. That's what the cops should have done. But they didn't. And by the time he was 12, he was already in juvie for several crimes. He had five counts of burglary, two arrests for running away, one arrest for malicious acts, and one arrest for vandalism. So, off to a great start. Later that year, he was charged for having sex with a six-year-old little girl that lived next door. And subsequently, he was placed in a boy's home in December of 1958. Bye, throw him away. Sorry. No. He's already got a taste. No. Yeah. Yep. He's already... It's bad. So, in 1961, Gerald was paroled, and less than a year later, he was arrested for armed robbery that he committed with his half-brother, David. After being charged and booked, he escaped. Eventually... He rocket raccooned? Right? You're, you're going to say that again. Eventually... Oh, no. He turned himself in. So, I think there was a struggle that was going on on the inside of him. And I wish someone had seen that and, like, taken him in and been like, let's change your life around. Let's give him the the There's, love he craves. There needed to be somebody. Yeah. Yeah, but there wasn't. And in 1963, he was paroled. But while in prison, he found out the true facts about his father, that he hadn't died in an accident. And he was, in fact, a murderer who had been sentenced to die mm. by gas chamber. And he was one of the first. No, he was the first to be killed by gas chamber in Mississippi. So... Oh, fuck. Yeah. He was just like, oh, shit, my dad's a murderer, and now I'm getting into a life of crime. Coincidence? I guess I should just keep going. Like, I'm already here. You're going to regret that. So in December of 1963, he married his first wife. He was 16, and she was 21. Oh, no. That's weird. They had a child (laughs) uh, a year later. Doesn't make sense. Make it make sense. And the child's name was Krista. They, of course, got divorced, and Gerald somehow got custody of Krista, and he sent Krista to his mother's to take care of her, like Lorraine, the sex worker who beat him and did not yeah. love him. So I don't. Does really... it have any motherly instincts whatsoever? But it's the only motherly instincts he's he knows. Been around, yeah. So I don't know. I guess so. Anyway, July twelfth, nineteen sixty six. He gets married again to a 24-year-old waitress from Sacramento. 26 days later, marriage falls apart. You want to know why? Because he beat the shit out of her and then chased her around with a knife for fun. No! Yeah. Take this as your lesson to not get married in three weeks. and (laughs) (laughs) Don't do it. But he had a real Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde thing going on where he was like super sweet and really nice, and then he'd turn into this mm-hmm. fucking monster. Hmm. 
I'm thinking maybe bipolar or borderline MPD. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty bad. On October 14, 1967, he married his third wife, who was a laundry worker, and they made it a whole ass month. A whole month. A whole Good, month. Congrats. Good job. Your longest marriage. Well, then he got married to a fourth wife in 1969 in Reno, and her name was Harriet. She was 19 years old, and she was pregnant uh, by their... Uh, but by the time their one-month marriage came to, uh, it, it all collapsed. Mm-hmm. And he was now 23 and arrested again for armed robbery that he again committed with his half-brother David. So he's got like a, a repeat thing going on. They robbed a motel in Vacaville, California. And they again escaped from the Solano County Jail together. Rocket Raccoon. Yeah. This dude just is getting captured, getting released. Captured, escaping. <laughs> Um, he was actually recaptured four days later and then sentenced to five years in prison. So okay. he, he only got away a little bit. Five years? Yes. So December 12, 1975, Gerald was released from prison and quickly married his fifth wife in Butte County, who was also a 19-year-old laundry worker. So I think he's got a type. And by August of, nine, of 77, so two years. Are they filing for divorce? Yeah, he's getting divorced and whatnot, but now he's on to his... His fifth yeah. wife, which they stayed together for two years and then separated, of course. And then just a month later, basically, he met Charlene Williams at a poker club in Sacramento. And the couple hit it off immediately. Who is this Charlene Williams, you ask? <laughs> Who is you- this Charlene Williams, you ask? There you go. <laughs> was born on October 10th, 1956 in Stockton, California to a Charles and Mercedes Williams. She came from a very caring and stable home. Her father worked in a grocery store. She was an only child. She was talented, smart, and even played the violin. She started high school, and it was the 70s, so she started experimenting with drugs and alcohol. So, I mean, it's the 70s. Like, come on. (laughs) Of course you're going to do that. It's also kind of part of life. Exactly. True. But this seemed to change her path to a dark path. She barely graduated high school, and she flunked out of college. She dated a lot of men and was even married twice before she met Gerald. That's two divorces by the age of 19. Oh. Yeah. Not good. These people just need, like, one good friend or good family member or, like, parental figure. You just need one person that could change your life. They just need one person who's going to give a shit. Exactly. Well, unfortunately, neither of them had that. Which, I mean, she did. She had her parents gave a shit about her, but she didn't give a shit about them because she wanted to do what she wanted. Mm, One of those. Well, Gerald wasn't even divorced from his wife when he and Charlene started dating. And Charlene said at the time he was very nice, a clean cut fellow. He didn't even try to kiss me at the end of the night. And Gerald immediately sent her roses and they said to a very sweet girl. So like, you know, heavy eye roll at that because he's love bombing her. Yeah. I was about to say, <laughs> love bombing, and also you didn't write her name. Yeah, could be for any of your women mm-hmm. or five wives or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> well, within a few weeks, they moved in together. Yikes. And that is when Sweet Gerald switched to the very controlling Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde, Mr. Motherfucker. Mm-hmm. He made her give all of her paychecks to him. He picked out her outfits of what she wore every day. And he slept with a bunch of other women and told her about it. Get fucked, dude. Kick him out. <laughs> well, the thing is, she was equally afraid and excited by what he was doing. 
She's young. Okay. You know. Trauma. And this is where Gerald started to talk about his deep, dark, wild, twisted fantasies. Oh, no. One of them being that he wished he had a young and disposable sex slave. No. Yes. The thing about Gerald and his sex life is he struggled with keeping it up. And I'm sure that really affected his ego and probably why he had so many control issues. And that's why he wanted sex slaves. But he also blamed Charlene for his inability to keep it up. And he constantly was abusing her and berating her in public and in private about it. No. Yeah. Real Jim. That is your own damn fault. Go to the fucking doctor. Yeah. It's ridiculous. So in July of 1978, Gerald brought home a girl who wasn't even 18 to have a threesome with Charlene and him. And he instructed them that they were only allowed to touch him and not each other. So not really a threesome. Jesus Christ. He's, he is borderline going to start a cult. Yeah, definitely. Well, he came home the next day to Charlene and this girl having sex with each other and he lost his mind and he threw oh, you the girl like out the door and then took his oh anger out on Charlene and beat the shit out of her for hours. Fuck. Yeah. And Charlene's like, I'm just trying to get some. Like, you can't get it up. Like, <laughs> Right. And like you brought her and I enjoy this. So yeah. this could be a two way thing. But it wasn't. He's a dick. And you're about to hate him so much more. Just, I already do. I, I have to say trigger warning. I have to. Okay. July 17th, 1978. This is Gerald's 32nd birthday. And the way he celebrated it was by sodomizing his daughter, Krista. She no. was 14 years old at the time. <gasps> oh, my God. And she knows? Does, does the mom know? The mom, no, because he got custody of Krista and then let his mom take care of her. So Lorraine is oh taking care of Krista God. and he sodomized her for his birthday. And he, of course, had been molesting her since she was six. He has Paul Bernardo energy. Yeah. Oh, my God. Well, Charlene found out at this time that she was pregnant and Gerald was furious. And he told Charlene to abort the baby. And she was like, totally. No. What? Yeah. So she did. I mean, I'm pro- do you, boo, like fully. But don't just do it because a man's telling you to do it. She did. But also a lot. he's raping her her daughter. And what if it was another girl? Would you really want her in that world? Mm-mm. You know? Yeah, Fuck. Bad. Hate that. Well, he grew a wild hair up his ass at this point and decided that they needed new identities. Again, I'm getting the whole okay. MPD personality thing. Uh-huh. So he ended up changing his name to Stephen Stephen Feel? which was Charlene's cousin's name, and he got the name because he had Charlene steal his birth certificate. Like, she went and stole oh her cousin's God. birth certificate for him to have a new identity. Yeah. So, September 11, 1978, Gerald now wants all of his sexual fantasies to come true. So, he's like, Charlene, want it. get in the I van. I want it now. Exactly. They got into the van. They went to a shopping center. They were in search of a suitable sex slave for Gerald. And that's when they spotted 17-year-old Rhonda Scheffler and 16-year-old Kippy Vaught at the Sacramento County Club Plaza. They pulled the van up to the shopping center and Charlene approached the girls, offering them marijuana. The girls agreed and followed Charlene back to the van. They were not given any marijuana, but instead were greeted by Gerald and his 25 caliber pistol to their faces. Okay, that is double fucking fucked up there's no weed and now there's a pistol in my face this is fucking rude it's so rude 
Uh, I mean, yeah, seriously, especially with what he does next. So they were forced to lie down on their stomachs and they were bound at their hands and feet with tape. And Charlene watched over them and Gerald drove. Gerald then dragged the girls into a like wooded area and raped them over and over throughout the night. So the next day, Charlene and Gerald drove about an hour and a half to Slough House and kicked Rhonda and Kippy out of the van. He then made them walk to a field and he hit Kippy in the head with the tire iron that he had in his hand. He then swung it around and hit Rhonda, and then he shot each girl in the head with a handgun. And as he started to walk away, Kippy moved. No. He turned around and shot her three more times in the head. No. And then the couple went home and went to bed. Of course. And the next morning, they gathered up the girls' belongings from the van. They found some rocks at the Sacramento River to fill the purses and whatnot so they could sink it. And even disposed of the gun and the tire iron he was unfortunately smart enough to dispose of his clothes he was wearing so he put them in a dumpster behind a clothing store which is like oh my god fucking genius hate that so much i hate that it's terrible it's fucking just awful and two days later a farmer discovered Rhonda and kippy's lifeless bodies on september 27 1978 krista filed charges of incest sodomy oral copulation and rape against her father and Good job. Gerald decided it was time to dip. So he and Charlene headed to Texas, but first got married in Reno on September 30th. Oh, my God. Then comes Father's Day, June 24th, 1979. And Gerald thought, what better gift on Father's Day than another sex slave? So the couple again went scouting. Charlene was sent off uh, at the Nevada County Fair, and she soon returned with 14-year-old Brenda Judd and 13-year-old Sandra Colley. How is she pulling two at one time and the balls to be able to do that? Like, bro, you can barely get it up. What makes you think you can have two girls? <laughs> well, that that alone is just, I don't know. But with her, I mean, it's the buddy system. It's an, a woman. You're more likely mm-hmm. to trust, especially with a friend, because you think no one's going to take two of you on. Yeah. And she offered them work. She was like, I need help fixing my windows. Like, And they were like, they saw the flyers. Like, they printed out flyers asking for help with work and the girls were like yeah we want to make some money is this the couple that also picks up a couple of girls from a carnival shut up okay okay yes i was hoping it was this case because i was like if it's not then there's another couple that are just as horrendous yeah i mean there are several oh yeah my but like comes to, to be mind. super close to this case but it is this case it Sorry, is go on yes. i don't know all of it so Don't get shy. Tell me the details. (laughs) All right. So these girls agreed and followed Charlene to the van, where again, they met Gerald with a pistol in his hand to their face. He forced them into the van, tied their hands and feet, and then he had Charlene drive this time and asked her to stop at a hardware store. He got out and went shopping, and he returned with a hammer and a shovel, and that is so fucking dark, dude. That is that is little literal horror movie esque. Yeah. Like that's the shit you watch in like a serial killer horror movie mm-hmm. and they like stop at the hardware store. Like you didn't even you didn't even have the weapons? You just You didn't even have it? Like you could yeah. let me go right now. They really tried to Lululemon that. They did. And <laughs> they like Charlene's just in the car with them. And not doing anything. It's just I don't Oh, it's so but then he would have killed her, so I don't know. Whatever so fucking what like if i okay if you're in a relationship that's this shitty and then they're wanting to do that are you gonna 
A, let him fucking do it, or B, maybe tell the cops with the possibility that he will try to kill you, but at least you saved all these other girls. I would definitely save the other girls. Yeah. Yeah. It's fucking dark. No question about it. If you said A, then we'd have a bigger problem here. <laughs> <laughs> We're not friends anymore. <laughs> and a lot of people would hear about it. <laughs> and that's why we would be getting one stars. <laughs> <laughs> the real reason, right? The real reason. <laughs> so Gerald gets back in the car and he begins raping the two girls in the back of the van as Charlene's driving. And it was hours until he had Charlene pull over in the Nevada desert. He then commanded Charlene to tell the girls to perform sexual acts on each other. Oh, no. Yes. He, of course, not getting the action he wanted, got bored of this and went and grabbed his shovel and pulled Sandra out of the car, marched her to a dry creek bed, stepped behind her and swung the shovel, cracking her in the skull. She fell to her knees and then onto her face. Gerald then beat Brenda to death with a hammer. And then he dug a deep hole, folded the girls up in the hole, and buried them. He then placed a rock over the grave. Oh, how kind of you. Yeah, what a fucking peach. Upon the return home, Charlene cleaned out the van like the good, dutiful wife she was. And Gerald, liking the gore of his last kill, kept the hammer and the shovel. Oh, so now he's keeping the weapons. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, Brenda and Sandra Sandra were reported missing, but unfortunately, two other girls had run away that same day to join the circus, and they thought those two girls were Brenda and Sandra, so the search didn't get started right away, and the girls weren't found until 1999. Bullshit. Bullshit. Sue them. (laughs) Sue the police department. Fuck them. I mean, it's easy to get confused. Two girls run away. Two girls get murdered. I don't know. It's kind of easy, but at the same time, this family's telling you that they're children are missing and you're like well these two people ran to the circus so that's probably what they did too no do your fucking job valid point do your job so at this point gerald and charlene returned to sacramento a few months later still using her cousin's alias gerald got a job as a bartender and started having an affair with a woman named patty she got pregnant with gerald's child but didn't tell him and he got bored before he even knew about it so he was just like i'm not getting this excitement from patty and he ended that affair On the 24th of April, 1980, Gerald and Charlene went scouting yet again. Mm. They ended up at Sunrise Mall in Citrus Heights, and they spotted 17-year-old Stacy Redekin and Karen Chipman Twiggs. Again, Charlene approached the girls, offering them marijuana. They got to the van, and Gerald had a .357 Magnum pistol pulled, which is much bigger. (laughs) Oh, my God. He commanded Charlene to the driver's seat again and ordered the girls to undress. He then took turns raping them and he would pause to shout directions at Charlene. They ended up at Limerick Canyon. He walked the girls away from the van one at a time with the hammer. Gerald had Charlene inspect the graves, and she insisted that the girls were still moving, but he insisted that they were definitely dead. Okay. So he, like, wanted to show her. He was, like, showing her his art, you know? Yeah. And she was like, cool, they're moving. And he's like, no, I did that. I killed them. He's like, he's it's out of commission. He's like, no, 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 no. You're wrong. What you're seeing, even though it's happening, no. You're wrong. You're a woman. You're an idiot. <laughs> you're an idiot. You're an idiot. <laughs> so they drove away, and Charlene told Jared to get rid of the hammer. She was smart. So he threw it out the window on the drive back home. For a serial killer. First, yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and Stacy and Karen's bodies were discovered three months later. But also just throwing it out the, the door is really stupid. I mean, do it. Just... 
just do it. Just throw it out. Yeah, just let fine. random people find it. It's know? fine. They're going to know. <laughs> They're going to know. So May of 1980 rolls around and Charlene finds out she's pregnant again. And she was expecting Gerald to tell her, get another abortion. But to her surprise, he was excited about the pregnancy. Ew. Why is it always the worst people who are the most fertile? Dude, only stupid people. I'm sure there's great people who are super fertile too, but like, there are so many people who would want a child and they're out here doing this to them. Yeah. Like, why? Why why do they. Anyone to tell me there's a sky daddy? No. I was going to (laughs) say. Nah. All right. Well, Jared, Gerald, sorry, started getting much riskier in his attacks. So on the 7th of June, 1980, he was on vacation in Oregon. And Gerald oh, no. and out. Charlene decided they wanted to find their next victim. They saw a pregnant woman hitchhiking. She was 21-year-old Stop. Linda Aguilar. She was four months pregnant. And she was hitchhiking and excitedly accept the ride because she's fucking tired. Yeah. And Charlene started driving and Gerald pulled out his three fifty seven Magnum pistol right to her face. No. Just whatever. And then he sexually assaulted her in the car. And then they did a short drive. Gerald then raped her and then beat her over the head with a rock and then strangled oh her afterwards in quotes for good measure. Mm. A few days later, a German tourist discovered Linda's body while walking on the beach and the police immediately suspected her boyfriend because he'd beaten Linda before. It's not always the husband. <laughs> right. It's just but someone also, else's husband. Good on them to actually try to like think of somebody yeah. and not be like they ran away to the circus <laughs> <laughs> yeah we're in Oregon now so maybe the cops are different no can't say that no nope. no nope. can't say that I live here <laughs> I tried all right well after an autopsy here's another heartbreaking thing it was determined that Gerald had not actually killed Linda and that she was alive after the couple had left and in her struggle to get up she was suffocated by the sand that was around her no as in she could have fucking no, she could have made it. Mm-hmm. Her and her baby could have made it. Depending on how long she lost consciousness. Because, yeah. like, I feel like a certain amount of time. But, yeah, they could have made it. Yeah. Well, the killings were getting closer and closer together. Only six weeks passed, and Gerald was jonesing for another one. Oh, my God. On July 17th, 1980, his 34th birthday. What does he want again? To kill. Oh, it's my birthday. Um, so, Gerald and Charlene were drinking at their bar that they go to. Like, that's their bar. Mm -hmm. Celebrating his birthday. And then closing time came around. And he said to Charlene, I'm not ready to leave. She knew what that meant. So they waited in the parking lot for their regular bartender, 34-year-old Virginia, who served them drinks all night. That is just rude. All of it's rude. It's all rude. That is rude. She she knows you. Yeah. Like, if that's your regular bartender, they know shit about you. Yeah, and I'm, I'm I sure used to she drink. got vibes. She's like, yeah. I don't know about these guys. Well, she entered the parking lot, and that's where Gerald abducted her at gunpoint. God fucking damn it. <laughs> well, this time, Gerald drove the van right to their house, like, to their home. And Charlene went inside to watch TV while Gerald raped Virginia in the van. Okay. Weird. And Charlene came back out, and Gerald demanded she drive, and Gerald strangled Virginia in the back of the van. God fucking damn it. I'm just waiting for the one to survive. He, they didn't, then dumped Virginia's lifeless body outside of Clarksburg, near a pond. Now, Virginia was a mother of two, 
and she was not the type to disappear. Like, people knew her There's in the There's no way people city. could say. Yeah. yeah. So police took her disappearance seriously, finally. Patrons of the bar said that they had seen Charlene and Gerald at the bar with Virginia until closing time. And when police found Gerald, uh, he admitted to knowing nothing of what had happened or become of Virginia. And Charlene gave the same answer and also said her and her husband had been fishing that day. Well, on October 3rd, a fisherman discovered the nude decomposed body of Virginia Marshall. They found her bound with fishing line. Weird. This raised the police suspicions, but they knew it wasn't enough evidence to book the the Galagos. But the suspicions are going off. Yes. We're getting somewhere. It's suspicious. (laughs) so charlene started growing tired of gerald because he'd become more and more violent obviously because he is just getting worse and worse with each one i understand she's a victim of his abuse as well but there's no way that she hasn't had moments to get out of some somehow there is domestic violence places to go i mean for starters you need to go to prison for a little bit so there's your three meals and a bed to sleep in first of all but like, just do better. Mm-hmm. And you're and she's tired of it now. She's physically fucking tired of it now. You don't think the fucking girls that you just murdered are tired of it? Fuck you. And their family. I know you're a victim, but fuck you. Yeah, she's she's got some work that she needs done on on her traumas too. Yeah. So they found her bound with fishing line, like I said, and she was growing tired of him being more violent. So she moved in with her parents and Gerald was like, well, fuck this. I'm leaving town. And then went and rekindled a previous romance he had. But. Oh, God. Guess what? She wasn't Charlene. Mm. So mm. he returned to his muse, to the one who understood his deep, dark fantasies. Oh, she just gets me. She gets me. Exactly. If they had never met. Ugh, they'd never oh, met. I know. Right. I mean, he still would have like. No, he probably still would have, like, continued to go on and do the stuff he's doing, but, like, get caught sooner. Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Well, November 1st, the couple borrowed Charles and Mercedes Williams' car. That's her parents. Uh, They said that they were going to dinner and a movie. And Gerald told Charlene, I'm getting that feeling. And we know what that leads to. So, again, the couple. Get a fucking hobby. I know. A better hobby. This is not a good one to have. This isn't what we classify as a hobby. <laughs> no, I think they <laughs> Not would. Not in this house. They would. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe pick up knitting or something. So they're scouting again. <laughs> you going to stab something then. <laughs> <laughs> they're scouting again at shopping centers and it gets late into the night and Charlene was like, I don't go home. I'm bored. This isn't, nothing's happening. And he made her stay out till early morning, like 1, 2, 3 a.m. And he spots... 22-year-old Craig Miller and his fiance, 21-year-old Mary Sowers. And he pulls over and he just like gets out of the car, whips his gun in their face and is like, get into the fucking car. No. And Craig and Mary are like, "Uh, if we comply, maybe we'll be good. Like, okay. Like, shit. Okay. And they were just at a dinner with a bunch of Craig's like fraternity brothers from college because they were near a college campus. Yeah. And so one of his um his fraternity brothers like sees him in the car and he like leans in the window and he's like, What are you guys doing? Like, where are you going? And Charlene just quick on her feet is just like blah 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 blah, blah and, like screams at him and drives off really fast. Without them? Did they No, stay? no, they're in the car. He's oh, she just fuck. screamed at the fraternity brother. So really weird. 
So they ended up driving out to El Dorado County until Gerald told her to stop. He then commanded Craig to get out of the car, and then he aimed his gun at him and shot him in the head. Mm. Then he fired two more shots into the back of his head, all while his fiance Mary watched in horror. That's the shit that like scares me. Oh, it's is so the bad. thought of because like there's nobody I feel safer being next to, like from other people, than when I'm with Brayden. And for us to just be walking down the fucking street and somebody can just pull out a big ass gun and you don't know what you do. I'm pretty sure I'd flip him off and I'd run away, but I can't say that's what I'd actually do. <laughs> yeah, that's option one, flip off, run But away. knowing, and then and then you're, you're just in that van and she heard him. Oh, it breaks my heart. Yeah, it's, it's rough. And then to still be alive. And then he gets back in the car and tells Charlene, drive to the apartment where he took his new sex slave into the bedroom and raped her for hours. He then orders Charlene back to the car. I mean, it was probably for like 15 minutes because for the hours, he was probably trying to get it up. Yeah, probably. He then ordered Charlene back to the car to drive to a rural area. And he ordered Mary to get out of the car where he shot her three times point blank range in the head. Oh, my God. When the couple never returned to the dinner, so Craig and Mary, the fraternity Uh brother that had tried to ask where they were going got really suspicious and actually ended up remembering the license plate. Good fraternity brother. (laughs) Ooh, look at them doing the heavy work. And he actually ended up giving it to the police. So the next morning, the police all pull up at Charlene's parents' house because they were using her parents' car. And they were ready because they already had suspicions. (laughs) Well, Gerald quickly slipped out the back, leaving Charlene Fuck. to deal with the police questioning, of course. What a stellar Scum. fucking dude. Right? Prince fucking charming over here. And they were like, you took your parents' car? And she's like, I don't know which one I took. I got so drunk on the date. I don't know which one it was. Oh, yeah? So now we can arrest you for drunk driving? Cool. Let's go down the station. <laughs> Unfortunately, <laughs> they couldn't. And they were just really suspicious of both of them, but couldn't really do anything with that. But the suspicions is higher. Way so higher. Getting somewhere again. <laughs> it's getting more tense. So Jared and Charlene, yes. they quickly skipped town. They're like, we gotta get out of Dodge. And they also decided that Craig Miller's body needed to be moved because they didn't bury him. They were just like bap bap bow and then drove off. So Wow. The problem is he didn't know that Craig's body had already been discovered. So they're they're driving around, walking around, trying to find this guy's body in the desert. And they're just like, we can't fucking find him, whatever. And they head to Reno. And they left their car there and got on a bus to Salt Lake City. Yeah. They left their car where they left his body. So they they couldn't find Craig's body. So then they drove to Reno, left the car in Reno, and then got on a bus to Salt Lake. Because that's not suspicious. (laughs) Right? So the evidence is piling up in Sacramento. And Craig's fraternity brother was actually able to point out Gerald's face to the police. And Charles Williams, Charlene's father, told the police that Stephen Fail was not his name, but it was actually Gerald Gallego. <laughs> so daddy's telling on him, too. So the bullets found in Craig Miller's body matched the bullets that were pulled from the ceiling at the bar where Gerald worked because he had fired shots into the ceiling for because he, he's stupid. Because he's stupid. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so at this point, Charlene and Gerald are pretty desperate, and she ends up asking her parents for money while in Salt Lake. And they sent it. Then Charlene and Gerald went to Denver, then Nebraska. She calls up her parents again and she's like, I need more money. 
This time, her parents had told the FBI about her asking for the money. So they sent it, and the FBI was waiting at the Western Union office in Omaha. And on November 17th, they arrested the couple on site. (laughs) On site. Motherfucker. Yes. I was about to say, like, are her parents, because you said they were, like, they were present parents. Mm -hmm. They were there. I was like, are they not getting suspicious, too? (laughs) Oh, they were. They did not, like... Good. Ger- Gerald. They did not. I don't think they liked her either, but like, they still <laughs> they loved like, her. But There's like, nothing we can do. They're tired. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, the <laughs> evidence that they had like in their apartments and the homes and the vehicles stacked. And they both decided to plead not guilty. Okay. Of course. Well, Charlene's attorneys figured their biggest and best shot. I already know. <laughs> was that they could get her a plea deal if she testified against her lover. Yep. I didn't know because I know this case. I just knew because true crime brain. Yeah. (laughs) Well, she was able to reduce her sentence to 16 years and eight months. On January 17th, 1981, did you forget? Because I totally did. She was still pregnant and she gave birth to Gerald Armand Gallego Jr. Although it's technically the third, but whatever. Dude, our cases have way too much similarities. This is fucking weird. I've I've kept my mouth shut this entire time. Well, they gave the baby to Charlene's parents. And on June 21st, 1983, after six months of trials, Gerald Gallego was finally sentenced to death for the murder of Craig Miller and Mary Sowers. But then he was extradited to Nevada and sentenced to death for the murders of Stacey Redican and Karen Shipman Twiggs. And he was only convicted of four of the ten murders. But still, fuck this life, fuck your next life. Fuck your next life. Whatever. Go to hell. Bro yes. tries to appeal, obviously. Denied. He tries to appeal. Denied. He tries to appeal. Denied. No, no, no. <laughs> no. No. Just no. Well. He doesn't know the word no, though. He doesn't. Obviously. Obviously. <laughs> and in uh, 2002, Gerald Gallego, 65 years old, is in the Nevada Prison Medical Center awaiting his execution, dies of his sign. Cancer. <laughs> yes. So. It should only be bad goodbye. people that get cancer. Like, it's so rude. Right? <laughs> Well, he definitely fucking deserved it. He lived too long. Anyway. Yes. So Charlene's testimony was obviously monumental in the case trial. She ended up having a photographic memory and she remembered every last detail of all of the victims. Wait, like she has an actual photographic memory? Like she could have actually made something really good with her life? Yes, exactly. Weird. So I'm not like completely opposed to the 16 years, like. I feel like that's a decent amount of time for her being a victim and also being part of this. Yeah. And maybe, just maybe, getting reformed. I mean, she didn't kill anybody. She just helped and aided in all of that and did not tell on him and just... And that's what I mean. Like, she's a victim, too. But, like, if she didn't get any jail time or got, like, two years, uh, no. No, 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 no. no. I wouldn't be so friendly right now. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think she... 16 years sounds like a good good time time to get reformed. Yeah, definitely. And... She kind of did. She served her time. And when she was 40, August of 97, she was released from prison. Oh, shit. While she was in prison, she studied psychology, business, and Icelandic literature. Oh. She agreed that wherever she did end up, she would register as a felon, but she was changing her name and whatnot. Okay. And now she's living as Mary Martinez in Sacramento, but her parents don't think she's in California, so she's not talking to anybody. Oh, that sucks. That doesn't sound reformed. I think it's Especially, like she doesn't want anything to do with her past life and she's trying to be a different person. Oh, th- that could be a thing too. Like she doesn't even want to remember what she was. 
Yeah, but like, if you have a good set of parents, though, like, at least have something. I don't know. Like, did they? I wonder if they visited her while she was in prison. I wonder if she like allowed it. Yeah. Good job. Thanks. Do you want to hear today's I, facts? <laughs> today's facts. Yeah. Yeah. It's sorry, not creepy, and it's just phone hit up. I decided to to see what today like national today is okay and today has so many national things it's national bubblegum day it's national thank a mail carrier day so thank you to all you mail carriers speaking of that we got a new shipment of holographic stickers today so (laughs) thanks my dude thanks my dude (laughs) it's national wear red day what's up taylor swift does it count if i have red hair sure totally thanks I'm wearing Mothman. It has red on it. In poor taste, it's World Cancer Day. Hey, what up? Sorry. (laughs) It's the other dreaded C word. (laughs) Um, It's National Quaker Day. (laughs) Quaker. Yeah. Uh, National Homemade Soup Day. Okay. And I made soup this week, so that's fair. National Stuffed Mushroom Day. Oh, I love... Oh, yum. (laughs) And National Naked Working Day. So enjoy... All you people who are still home, February 4th is Working Naked Day. Enjoy that. You're welcome. I guess I'll take note and <laughs> do my microblading naked tomorrow. There you go. <laughs> Happy I'm February 4th. I'm technically at home. <laughs> it's weird. We're getting weird. Moth listening to this right now is like, please no. <laughs> <laughs> She's like, um, help. She's like, oh, I'm sick. <laughs> Okay, well, perfect timing. The edibles kicked in. Uh-oh. So. <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> Thought I had a little more time. Before I start my case, I just wanted to say congratulations to Kendall Ray. Not that she fucking listens to this whatsoever, but she's pregnant. pregnant. And her and Josh had a miscarriage in October, as you can learn on the sesh about it. Their, their podcast, The Sesh, Mile Higher Podcast, and then Kendall Ray on YouTube. They're finally pregnant, and I just want to say congratulations. Yay. Also, yes. Also, before we get into my case, here is a promo of the podcast Serial Sisters. Sister. Sister. I'm Devin. I'm Audie. And we recap true crime documentaries. Yeah, we're a true crime comedy podcast because, you know, you need some laughter when you're dealing with some terrible bullshit. How are you going to talk about serial killers without, you know, roasting them in between? Oh, yeah. So we deem people soggy bowls of cereal. Sometimes a wet sock. Here to cover true crime big and small. From abducted in plain sight. Lesbian vampire killers. The woman who wasn't there. And Tiger King. We have it all. We shit on all of them. What you want? Serial killers? Embezzlement? Fraud? We've got it covered. Even some art theft here and there. Join the banter between us, two sisters that can sometimes hate each other. Sometimes. But overall, choose to spend our time entertaining you guys with the crazy documentaries we watched the night before. And to bring more awareness. Join us every week for a new episode of Serial Sisters! Available everywhere you get your podcasts, you can find us at Serial Sisters. That's Sisters with three A's. S-I-S-T-A-A-A-S. Yeah, go listen to them. Woo! Okay, so, well, I wonder if... Jeez. I wonder if we can get our blood beaters to guess who my person is within the next, like, 15 seconds with me saying that my person is also a third. Their mother has no motherly instincts. Also in California wonder it's getting weird wonder i am doing the co-ed killer oh which is edmund kemper you motherfucker i did it 
Finally. <laughs> Finally. So Edmund Kemper was born December 18th, 1949 in Burbank, California to mom Clarnell Stage and Edmund Kemper Jr. So he's the third. Yikes. Never trust a junior. Never trust a third. And I'm sure he's probably the last in this fan bam. They were like, stop. Stop. <laughs> Fucking at small town murder. Don't trust him. Don't trust him. His dad was on the picture after nine years old because they left. And their relationship, his and Carnell's relationship, was no good by any means. He's a veteran. And he literally said doing suicide missions were better than being in, like, the same premise as Carnell. Jesus. Jesus. <laughs> Take the wheel. <laughs> Carnell would emotionally abuse her husband, telling him that he wasn't a man and belittling his job. Oh, my God. Ma'am, he was in the war. Are you okay? She knew what she was doing, though. She needs... She knew. Yeah. What That's just how she was, though. Do you know this case? I know nothing of this case. I've, I've, I've been trying to keep it from you for yeah. like a year or so. So okay. Edmund Kemper and Ed Gein, I don't know anything about them. Yes. Okay. <laughs> oh, okay. She also had zero motherly instincts. And would not coddle Kemper because she, quote, did not want him to end up gay. Fuck you, lady. The pause, the anger you had to, like, pause for. I, I got hot. Yeah. I know, right? I mean, you just you saw the photo I sent you when I was doing this case. Yeah. <laughs> One of the biggest facts besides that Kemper had the IQ of a 136. Jesus. 140 later is that he was six foot nine by the time he like starts murdering. And by the age 15, he's six foot four. Oh my God. Huge. But along with this, he's also showing sociopathic behaviors. He wouldn't find out about his IQ till later though. I had to put a trigger warning too, because as we've learned trigger warning on animals and there was one other thing I can't remember. <laughs> I think it's babies. Oh, babies. Okay. <laughs> When he was 10, he buried the family cat alive, dug it up, and then decapitated it and put its head on a stake. Then at I'm 13 not. years old, he killed his own pet cat with a machete, put it in his closet until his mom found it. I'm not listening anymore. I don't. I, I can't know. do it. You're, You're not going to like this case at all. Please. No. No. You don't fuck with cats. He also played this... You don't fuck with cats. We've learned this. Maybe if the documentary was out already, he would have been like, okay, I'll, I will stay away from the cats. I can't. He'd also play this game with his sisters called electric chair or gas chamber, where he would have his sister strap him to a chair and flip on an imaginary switch. And he would like act like he's being electrocuted and or like he's in a gas chamber. I kind of wish it was like the Adams family and they actually electrocuted him and he actually died. Right. And then he just died. Okay, bye. Don't need this case anymore. But don't do the Adams family like that. They don't deserve that. <laughs> well, there's this kitschy and funny, but like I wish that they just had an electric chair like on hand. Yeah. He, they would also so this one kind of <laughs> this one kind of sounds fun. They would also like roll each other up in a rug uh -huh. and then try to get out. <laughs> oh, I can't. My claustrophobia is not okay with that. <laughs> I don't know why. That one just sounds like such a brother-sister thing to do where they were like okay don't try to get out and they'd be yeah. like wiggling around 
<laughs> I was like, my brother and sister used to put me in our toy bin, and it was it was a circle toy bin, and they would roll it down uh-huh. the stairs and call it the sushi roll. <laughs> like literally fifteen God, stairs, just like not having siblings. Surprised I didn't die. All I would do, because I'm the only child, is I was like, I would like sit crisscross applesauce, but like bring your foot onto your thigh, mm-hmm. like on both thighs. And then I tried to get up on the couch. You, why do you, you made me try to do that. You're weird. I showed you. <laughs> I didn't have a sister or brother to do it with. So then I did it with you. Yeah. Makes sense. So when he was like eight or nine years old, and this is going to matter for later, he went to a magic shop, like a magic show. And the guy had like a guillotine type contraction, contraption, contraction. No, contraption. <laughs> no, contraption. <laughs> okay, Michael Scott, calm down. So it would like come down. So he picks somebody from the, from the crowd, okay, brings them up and he's like, okay, we're going to chop your head off, <laughs> but it's going to be magic. So you're going to live. So then it like happens, it does it. And then the girl's head like falls into like a basket. It's, it's magic. Okay. It's not real. But Ed was like, hot girl getting head chopped off? Sign me up. Ew. Yeah. Who knew magic kills? But I like he it. Would no, cons- ruin magic. <laughs> now you're ruining magic and... Oh, no. This episode sucks. <laughs> he would constantly decapitate his sister's Barbie dolls after the whole magician thing. That's not normal. That's not normal. That's not normal. He once told his sisters that he had a crush on his teacher, but that if he wanted to kiss her, he would have to kill her first. And this was in the second grade that Bro, he would the literally fuck? then stalk her. He would stalk her to her house. And he like he got in trouble. They were like, "Bro, you can't be doing this." Bro. Yeah. So, on top of like no motherly instincts, part of that was because she suffered from borderline personality disorder and was an alcoholic. Mm. Just a cherry on top. She was constantly berating and humiliating him, especially about his height, which, like I said, at 6'4". I mean, at 15, he was 6'4". Why would you belittle and him about that? It's, it's weird. Well, the reason why is because she was actually scared of him. Ugh. So she would just constantly belittle him about it, trying to, like, bring him down a peg, I guess. Like, make it so that he was scared of her. I don't know. But she would also send him to the basement at nighttime and lock it for him to sleep because she was afraid that he was going to hurt or, like, sexually abuse his sisters. Which, like, if there's signs for that, get him help. Don't shove him into a dark basement and lock him in there all night. Yeah, but she lacks in the motherly instinct department, as we discussed. So why does she have more kids? Stop. Stop breeding. He's the middle child. And from what I know of, the two girls are, I mean, we haven't heard about them in the news, so I'm assuming they're <laughs> fine. <laughs> so when he was 14, he ran away to find his dad. He found him in Van Nuys, California, and he started uh, staying with him for a little while. But then his dad's new wife, which like she wasn't new at the time, but to him, new wife, she started getting super fucking stressed out about Kemper. And he, she was, you got to get him out. So he did. It was like, you got to leave. <laughs> Goodbye. I got to go. So he was sent to live with his grandparents, and this is his mom's grandparents, in North Fork, California. By this point, he had severely detached from his mom and, like, 
he already knew that he hated her, but like he hates her. So moving in with her parents didn't go so well. He would later say that his grandma was just as abusive as his mom. There wasn't like, there's no proof of it. But also, how did she end up like that? Makes you wonder. Mm -hmm. At age 15, on August 27th, 1964, Kemper's grandma was sitting at the kitchen table working on a children's book that she was making. When Kemper came up behind her and shot her three times with the rifle, his own grandpa got him to kill rabbits and gophers. What? Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. When his grandpa came home after running errands, he didn't even make it out of the driveway before Kemper shot him as well. He calls his mom and he's like, hey, just killed grandma and grandpa. What do I do? And she's like, hello, call the police or I will. So he does. When the detectives asked why did he also shoot his grandpa, he said, because I thought he would be mad at me that I killed grandma. No shit, Sherlock. And then they also asked, like, why'd you fucking do it? And he was like, quote, I just wanted to see what it felt like. Oh, my God. This guy's just like a walking red flag. Maybe video games are good. Maybe that's a problem with serial killers is they did not have video games. Yeah. <gasps> Ooh. That's an argument. That's a fun argument. Yeah. I want to find a college student that did like an essay on why video games are bad. And I'm going to come at him with that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So. He's just 15 years old, and he's sent to Addis Cattero Cattero State Hospital. It's just a rude name for a state hospital, Mm -hmm. okay? (laughs) This is where he had his first IQ test and found out that he was pretty much a genius. They fucking told him that he was a genius, which, like, I guess you would. Don't do that. But, like, (laughs) just don't do it, though. And then he would actually take the test, like, later on in life as well. And he scored a 140. So he was four points smarter. Bro, you're supposed to get dumber over time. <laughs> no, he just, he picks up on what people want to hear, which is what we're going to get into. He was studied by psychiat oh, there I go, psychiatrist and diagnosed as paranoid <laughs> and psychotic. He actually did so well in the hospital that the psychologist that he was like getting studied by had him be his assistant he was literally allowed to see the other prisoners tests and information he did so well at convincing his psychologist that he was reformed that he was actually released just after five years and had his juvenile records sealed expunged i can't so standing at six foot nine 300 pounds at 21 years old Doctors told him when he was being released that it would be a terrible, terrible idea to move back in with his mom. But there was nowhere else for him to go. He just killed the two people that were willing to take him in. And his dad doesn't want him. So he went to live with mommy again. Now she has a reason to put him in a basement, though. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, Jesus criminy. So with getting out, he still had to check in with probation and he was considered low risk and that they considered him like fully reformed. How? As if they don't know that he's a genius, that he's literally a genius and he knows how to manipulate you. Getting out of prison, he also had to go to community college, which he did. But his real goal was to be a police officer. Bro. (laughs) 
and he had his record expunged. So that could happen. But the reason why he could not be a cop was because he was too big. There's a height requirement or not requirement, but like restriction. Yeah. Which is absolutely insane. So when in this life, he would often just hang out in the jury room as he started to make friends with the other cops and they would just like hang out. That's how we met people. They called him Big Ed and they said that he was like polite, soft-spoken, super intelligent, that they enjoyed having him around. He had several jobs and then landed one with the California Highway Department. He saved up money and was able to move out into an apartment with a friend in Alameda, California, which is right next to San Francisco. Mm -hmm. He would end up back home, though, when he was uh, below money for rent. So back home with his mom, he bought a motorcycle and he got into two accidents, one of which paid him $15,000, which was around like... 90,000 is what Google said, but that seems like a lot. <laughs> I swear to God. So but. this guy gets his record expunged. He's friends with cops. He gets fucking 15 grand. Yep. And like some sources said it was his elbow that got hurt and some say it was his head, but like we already know his head's loose. <laughs> but either way, like he got $15,000 and with that, he bought a yellow Ford Galaxy. I don't know what it is with serial killers and yellow cars, but I see you. It's when he got his car that he really started paying attention to all the female hitchhikers. Mm -mm. And at this time in California in the 70s, living in a college area, they be hitchhiking. It's prime time. (laughs) Prime time to get your own car. Uh, (laughs) He started to think of all the ways that he could kill them or what he could do to them and started to build this nice and sweet murder kit of plastic bags a like, bunch of knives, a blanket, and handcuffs, all located in his trunk. Disgusting. He did not just, like, go full throttle on this murder train, though. He actually claims to have picked up, like, 150 hitchhikers with the thoughts and intentions of killing them, but it was just never the right time. Then these little zappies, quote, his little zappies, started to, like, tingle in his head, and he knew it was time to kill. Bro, what? What? <sighs> I get little zappies in my head. I'm like, ooh, maybe I should make pasta for dinner. Fuck you, dude. I pop an Excedrin. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, th- those two. <laughs> Take a fucking ibuprofen, drink some water, sleep on it, and get back to me in the morning. The fuck? Mm-hmm. No, go murdering. Yeah. So now is the time for crime. Dun, dun. On May 7, 1972, two 18-year-old Fresno State College girls, Marianne and Anita, were hitchhiking to Stanford University. People knew they were coming and hitchhiking, and they didn't show up, so their families called the cops. But runaways were super common, and the girls were of age, and there was no evidence that something bad happened, so authorities couldn't do much, supposedly. They probably could have done, like, a little bit more than nothing, at the very least. Nothing's, like, nothing. Exactly. Just do something. He handcuffed Mary Ann and Anita and put them in the trunk. He then stabbed and strangled both of them to death. He then put them back in his trunk and started heading back to his apartment when he was pulled over for a taillight out. What in the Ted Bundy? Uh, Yes. I I had a fucking stroke. (laughs) Yes. It's so like this is a fucking simulation. Oh, God, the edible's in. I don't have time for that right now. Okay. So the cop, there's no signs that there was dead bodies in this car. So he just told him to get it fixed and he headed on his way. He photographed and raped their corpses and then dismembered them. 
put them in plastic bags and dispose of them in the wooded mountains of Loma Prieta. Prieta, I think is what it's called. It's mountains out there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Almost two and a half months later, on August 15th, the remains of a female head, just the head, was found in a wooded area of Santa Cruz. Mm. It was Marianne's head. Hmm. Mm-hmm. I wonder. I wonder. I, I said it comes back. Yeah. Only she was found, but they assumed that they obviously both met foul play. Only her head was found, by the way. What? Why? September 4th, 1972, 15-year-old Aiko disappeared while hitchhiking from Berkeley. She was in dance class and on her way to her dance class that she had missed the bus for. Unfortunately, Kemper would be the one to give her a ride. He drove to a remote area and pulled out a gun on her, then taped her mouth and tried to suffocate her by putting his fingers in her nose. She wasn't dying, though, so then he takes her scarf and strangles her to death. He then rapes her and puts her in his trunk. He would later say that he just, like, stood there and stared at her while she was in the trunk, admiring his, quote, catch like a fisherman. Bro. Yeah. With her still in the trunk, he goes to a local bar that he goes to often with his cop friends. Yep. What the fuck? She's in his trunk. Yeah. Then, like Marianne and Anita, he took her back to the apartment, raped her more, and then dismembered her. He had her head, hands, limbs, all in a bag, went to court about his parole, and then disposed of her in different locations. Oh my god, this is this is so much like um, American Psycho. Oh yeah. Where he's just like, Isn't that, that movie's like based off a bunch of serial killers, it's, right? It's a combination of all of them, yeah. Yeah. And then this is also the case that I guess it's from his words, so that's why I'm just keeping it as like a side thing. But supposedly at some point he got out of the car and locked himself out of the car with Aiko in the car. What? And he convinced her to unlock the car and let him in. No. Yeah. No, no, no. After like pulling, like after like already showing that he was going to do this, like convinced her to open the fucking door. Mm-hmm. She could have just drove away. Mm-hmm. The IQ, dude. It's scary. Nope. January 7th, 1973. He is now living back with his mom and driving around Cabrillo College campus. He's just picking like all the colleges that we know. <laughs> he picked up 18-year-old Cindy Shaw, drove to a wooded area and shot her with his 22 caliber pistol, placed her body in his car and brought her back to his mom's house where he kept her in his closet overnight until his mom went to work the next morning. We see where this is going. He took bloodbath a little too literally. Mm dismembering her in the bathtub no unlike his other victims he kept cindy's head for several days i'm so sorry often using it to perform oral sex on him with it with a head just just a head yes just her head he then buried her head under his mom's bedroom window with her face facing towards the window because he said that she always wanted people looking up to her I'm going to throw up. This is a mommy's issues case. I'm going to throw up. He then threw the rest of her dismembered body off a cliff where over the next few weeks, people would find her and have to put her together like a fucking jigsaw puzzle, but they never found her head. Nope. February 5th, 1973, Kemper had a bad argument with his mom and left the house looking to kill. By this time, there were rumors that a serial killer was prowling around the area, so tensions were high and people were told to only accept car rides from cars that had the university sticker on it. Well, Carnell, Mommy Dearest over here, 
works at the university. Mother. So Kemper hearing that was like, okay, stole the sticker from his mom, put it on his car. Off he went to pick up 23-year-old Rosalind and 20-year-old Alice, where they were in the UCSC campus. He shot them and wrapped them up in blankets, taking them once again to his mom's house. For some reason, he decapitated them in his car and then took their bodies inside to have sex with them. He then dismembered them, but not before taking out the bullets that he used so that he couldn't be identified. Some of their remains were found at the Eden Canyon a week later, but not all of them. April 20th, 1973 came. 50-year-old, again, mommy dearest, Cardell came home from a party. Kemper was sleeping, but when she came in, she kind of like woke him up. So she's in her room reading a book, and he comes into the doorway. And this bitch says, I suppose you're going to want to sit up all night and talk now. What the fuck? Yeah. To which he said, no, good night. Nothing good's going to happen after this. Yeah, that's this bitch. (laughs) He waited for her to go to sleep, and then he bludgeoned her with a claw hammer. Oh, my God. Slit her throat with a penknife, decapitated her, and then used her head for her oral sex. No. Then used her head as a dartboard. But wait, there's more. What? He cut out her tongue. How do you say it? Larynx? Larynx. Larynx. He cut out her larynx and put them in the garbage disposal. The garbage disposal could not break down her vocal cords and ejected them out into the sink. Mm -hmm. And Kemper says... That seemed appropriate, as much as she bitched and screamed and yelled at me over so many years. No. I'm not, she does not deserve to die, but like, you were a horrible mother and you made him into this. This was nurture. I can't. I can't. This is just fucking awful. He then put her body in a closet and headed to the bar to drink with his cop buddies. Of course he did. Where they were literally talking about a serial killer. Weird. They're talking about Ed to Ed. Yeah. No. When he got back, he invited his mom's best friend, 59 Sally, over to have dinner and watch a movie. He strangled her to death to create a cover story that her and his mom went on vacation together. He's a genius. What can I say? I hate it. He would end up changing his mind on the cover story, though. He put her in the closet as well and left a note for the police. And it said, approximately 5.15 a.m. Saturday. No need for her to suffer anymore at the hands of this horrible, quote, murderous butcher. It was quick, asleep, the way I wanted it. Not sloppy and incomplete, gents. Just a lack of time. I got things to do. He then drove nonstop to Pueblo, Colorado, taking caffeine pills to stay awake. He had three guns and hundreds of ammo in his car, believing he was a target of an active manhunt. But he wasn't hearing anything about his mom or the note. So he found a phone booth in Pueblo, Colorado, called the police, and confessed. They 100% did not believe him. This is they American like, Psycho right there. Call later. Yep. They were like, no, you can call back later. He then calls them back, and he asks for a particular cop that he knows. And he's like, hey, buddy, this was me. And he believes him. Good. He confessed to the killing of his mom and Sally and waited for police to get him. He just, like, waited patiently like, on a porch, calmly. When in custody, he confessed to all six murders, including his mom and friend. When asked in an interview why he turned himself in, he said, The original purpose was gone. It wasn't serving any physical or real or emotional purpose. It was just a pure waste of time. Emotionally, I couldn't handle it much longer. Towards the end there, I started to feel the folly of the whole damn thing. And at the point of near exhaustion, 
Near collapse, I just said to hell with it and called it all off. AKA, he killed the one person he's always wanted to kill, his mom. Yeah, that makes sense. When questioned as to why he decapitated his victims, he explained, The head trip fantasies were a bit of a trophy. You know, the head is where everything is. The brain, eyes, mouth, that's the person. I remember being told as a kid, you cut off the head and the body dies. The body is nothing after the head is cut off. Well, that's not quite true. There's a lot left in the girl's body without the head. Oh, uh, why? Like, this guy's still, that's weird. He's still alive. I don't, okay. Mm -mm. Due to his confession, his very detailed confession, the only defense that they could do, like that they could take, was to plead not guilty by reason of insanity. So while in custody, he tried to kill himself twice. His trial then started October 23rd, 1973. Three court-appointed psychiatrists, psychiatrists, damn it, (laughs) shut up, (laughs) found Kemper to be legally sane. Dr. Joel Fort interviewed Kemper while under truth serum, like, okay, what is this, Captain America, <laughs> and, re- <laughs> and relayed to the court that Kemper had engaged in cannibalism, alleging that he sliced flesh from the legs of his victims, cooked it, and consumed it with the, the strips of it being the top of a casserole. That's not normal. That's not normal. And later he would recant that confession about the cannibalism, and he, he like, okay, he's a fucking genius, so who's going to know if he's ever telling the truth? Because he knows how to say it. Mm-hmm. But, like, he tells everything. And the things that, like, supposedly didn't happen, he also is like, oh, wait, no, that's not, no, that's not how that is. And he was drugged when he said the cannibalism thing. So, you know, you know, do you believe him? I, I hate, I hate this. I hate the story. You suck. On November 8th, 1973, the six men, six women jury deliberated for five hours before declaring Kemper sane and guilty on all counts. Good. He asked for the death penalty, requesting death by torture. Ew. He instead, yeah, he instead received seven years to life for each count with these terms to be held concurrently. And he was sentenced to the California medical facility, but like seven years, that's 63 years for all of them. And I know the odds of him living past the 63 years and it's seven to life, but still these people's lives deserve more than seven fucking years. And I get it's seven to life, but like, put a fucking, fuck your next life. Fuck the next life. Fuck you. So a little bit about prison life. So he was actually in prison with Herbert Mullen, who was a serial killer in the same area. And he killed people because he thought it prevented earthquakes. Kemper could not stand him and said, just like, he's just a cold blooded killer killing everybody he saw for no good reason. Because mommy's issues is a good reason. Yeah. Calm down. Kemper would manipulate and physically intimidate this tiny little five foot nine inch man tiny compared to the guy that's a foot taller than him and 300 pounds and he was also in the same prison as charles manson i don't think i need to tell you who that is no you don't he is considered a modeled prisoner and is in charge of scheduling other inmates doctors and psychiatrist appointments what the fuck also in 1987 a los angeles times article stated that he was the coordinator of the prison's audiobooks for the blind. He has personally spent over 5,000 hours narrating books with several hundred completed with the records, like the name on it is his. Like you can, you can listen to them now. I'm going to throw up. He did this up until he had a stroke in 2015 and now he like can't do it. I don't feel bad. Right? 
It's like, okay, I murdered all these people. So what kind thing can I do? Oh, I can be polite to the blind. They don't want you. Yeah. Now they can't listen to that book. Now so now we need suffer. to find all the books and hire some <gasps> Paul Holes. Let's hire Paul Holes to narrate the books that he narrated so then they can actually listen to it. Yeah. Asshole. Asshole. While in prison, Kemper was, uh, has participated in a number of interviews, including a segment segment <laughs> segment in the 1982 documentary The Killing of America, as well as an appearance in the 1984 documentary Murder, No Apparent Motive. He's interviewed by john douglas the fbi profiler and he described him as among the brightest prison inmates he interviewed and capable of quote rare insights for a violent criminal and that's where i suggest that you go watch mindhunters now i don't i don't i hate that yeah but he is part of why more serial killers were caught because him and john douglas actually worked together for a while and he would tell him about serial killer's minds and he's also a fucking genius so yeah 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 whatever <laughs> so now you know now we don't have to be quiet around you wish i didn't yeah i know <laughs> i regret everything that sucked <laughs> you're just so shut off i'm mad do you have a good good because i'm mad i think i'm gonna make the announcement are you i think i am okay so Brayden has a second interview at the same place. They have two possible jobs for him in this little state called Minnesota. Oofta. Oofta. Your girl's moving to Minnesota. Oofta. Minnesota. to mail me weed. <laughs> <laughs> Please don't. Don't actually do it. <laughs> You'll get in trouble. <laughs> no, FedEx doesn't check. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. It's probably going to be end of March, beginning April, but sometime in the future, you got a good good? I do have a good good. You got a good good. I got a job at a flight school, which is pretty cool. Look, we're all getting jobs. Yeah. And they're changing our lives. Uh, it's not like a, <laughs> like a cool job. It's just a desk job, but it's a step in the right direction. And I get discounts on flights and I get to continue flying, which is cool. Exactly. So there's that. Only good directions. Only going in good directions. Well, send us a listener episode to bbtcpodcast at gmail.com. It can be a good good. It could be true crime. It could be spooky. It could be alien-esque. It could be about your cats. What else could it be about? Oh, it could be about a time you got really, really high and you have a funny story about it. Oh, I want those. Yeah, those would be good. I'm just thinking about the future now when like Bloodbath's doing really well and people make it to this episode and then they send us their funny high stories. Oh, I'm manifesting. I'm excited for that. It's going to be great. Yeah. Speaking of things that are great, um, our Patreons are really great, especially like our our good friend Mon and Isabel Bedford and Janae Sweet and Reagan Jefferson and Michaela Schumacher. Of course, we can't forget about her. So those are our patrons. We're super happy you're in our lives. Thank you so much for donating to us. And we promise to get on those episodes. <laughs> On the extra episodes, yeah. Mm-hmm. That won't have any, they won't have any promos, no ads, nothing to them. That's the benefit of it. Be sure to rate, review, subscribe wherever you get podcasts. Follow us on all our social medias. Give us a DM of, you know, what's on your mind this week. Send us your good goods. We love to hear it. Love to see it. Um, and we'll catch you next week. Yes, we will. But wait. There's more. Bye. 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 Bye.